very pleased to be joined by a couple of dietitians today. What exactly is the role of a dietitian within critical care? I think our role is, and this probably does vary, but I think ultimately our role is to advocate for good nutrition for ICU patients and to assess and provide a care plan, a nutrition care plan for them, and then to manage that care plan and to review it. I think as a dietitian, we're, we're quite interesting and a bit different to other professions in that we don't carry out the plans that we set. We assess the patient and we write a plan, but we don't implement that plan ourselves. We're asking someone else to implement the plan for us. And that sometimes does skew the role of the dietitian a little bit, I think. No, absolutely, Danny. But I was thinking that that's one of the things about how do we determine whether we're effective in what we do and how you justify our role is quite frustrating because we could spend an hour assessing all the past medical history, assessing their nutritional status, taking all the medications into consideration, coming up with this wonderful plan. And then we go there the next day and none of it has been delivered. And that doesn't mean that we're not very good dietitians. It just means that's what critical illness is about and all the challenges that come along. And so I think that's one of the things that we really struggle with as a profession is how to demonstrate the benefit that we have. And I think one of the other things that we're fundamental in is in writing the policies, the nutritional policies and the guidelines and making sure that we are checking up that they're being complied with, doing kind of audits and quality improvement and feeding that back and trying to identify why is it not being followed and what is it that we can do to try and help to improve that. And I think in, in certainly from my point of view as well, and I think this, this element probably came out a lot during COVID is that I do think it's the role of the dietitian to have a say and to be involved heavily in clinical governance and safety so we have a lot to do with, you know, management of nasogastric tubes and, and glycemic control and insulin management um, and to ensure that all of those aspects are safe for the patient. And I think that the dietitian plays a, a large role in that kind of governance and safety aspect. So I think there's a lot that the dietitian does that's kind of behind the scenes on the ICU, making sure everything runs well, as well as doing the individual plans for the patient and some some things that i i think i i certainly hadn't really thought about as the role of the of the dietitian which probably comes down to sometimes dietitians are almost, almost hidden and I, th I think you're right about that and that goes back to my initial point about the role being a little bit different on every single mm. icu and a lot of that is about how a dietitian is perceived and i think the, the dietitians are not utilized well on the icu because of those kind of misconceptions. Um, and I think that if we can try and like, debunk some of those misconceptions, mm. that people will find that actually their ICU dietitian really is an integral part of their team. And really, you need to be there on the ward round or in the handover every morning, listening to all the clinical stories that are going on. And we, there's so much that we can advise and contribute if we're given the opportunity. But if you only come on, see your patient run away again, it's very hard to, to have an impact. And historically, dietitians have been quite poorly resourced in ICU. And so you just don't have the opportunity to be there and be part of the unit. Um, and, and Danny and I have both been in positions where we were fundamentals to the unit and literally would spend the whole day there have sort of offices and, and stuff. And so we could be pulled upon if we were needed rather than 
disappearing. Do you think part of that is because the, the resources aren't there? So the dietitians covering ICU may be also the ones who are covering the ward, so there's not always a dedicated ICU dietitian then? Yeah, I think that's such a big problem. And to give you a couple of examples of that, when I first started in my job, before I was the principal critical care dietitian, half of my job was ICU and the other half was on the older person's unit. Like two complete ends of the spectrum, but that was a half-half job that I have. I know people who might be funded only for two half days a week for a 30-bedded ICU and the rest of their job is, um, you know, bariatric clinics, for example. ICU dietitians are typically very under-resourced and then people wonder why we can't show um, our benefit. If, if, the, if, it, if we're properly funded, we can make a huge difference to the delivery of nutrition. Just so I can make sure that everyone's sort of clear, the delivery of nutrition obviously includes enteral and parenteral nutrition. And, and oral. I can yeah. tell you my, my day today included PN patients, enteral patients, and I helped to feed two oral patients who needed assistance with feeding on the ICU. Um, so yeah, all, all three. I think the, the oral nutrition is, is probably the bit that gets forgotten because we're so focused on the prescription of the of nutrition. Yeah, that is so true. And actually, this week has been really interesting for me because the majority of my difficult patients have all been patients who are eating and drinking. All three of them actually were just really complicated. But also, unfortunately, ICU isn't a very nice environment to eat either. Um, So they're actually often more at nutrition risk than a patient who has a feeding tube or a patient who's on parental nutrition because you have really no means of getting food into that patient. If they either don't like the food, if the food comes cold, if the patient next to them is arresting when they're trying to eat, if someone's gone in their break, if the doctors are coming and trying to do a line, they've got no opportunity to be able to eat well. So actually they're often far more difficult than an enteral or parental patient. Another thing I was just thinking about the thing with nutrition is that we know that these patients are losing 2% of muscle a day when they're critically ill, but that's often not obvious. It only catches up when they're two weeks down the line and then you think, oh gosh, how has all this happened? But if you sort of stop the nutrition for 12 hours because you want to take them to theatre, nothing immediate happens. Whereas if you stop the insulin or you stopped the NORAD, something immediately would happen and you would want to treat it. But with nutrition, nothing happens. And so we kind of allow it to happen. And so it's not surprising that they're so weak, they can't actually lift their arms off the bed or anything, or have got huge pressure sores or something like that. And that ties very nicely into the advocacy that comes with your role is something that we perhaps don't always appreciate. And I think that's exactly right. And I've had consultants where someone said to me, well, Danny, it's not really a priority at the moment. And I said, no, I understand it's not your priority to get this patient, but it is my priority. So you have to consider the whole picture of what's gone on with the patient before they've come to the ICU as well, then consider what's going on and then consider their trajectory. Um, And I do think that, you know, nutrition advocacy should be everyone's job. But if you don't have someone who's championing nutrition on your unit then it won't be very good because there isn't someone who understands all the nuances that go with it so I think you know even if you don't have lots of dietitians on your unit you at least need one who's there to be that champion and you know explain all those nuances that come with it.
But that in itself shows the importance of the multidisciplinary team as a, as a whole, because everybody has different priorities and it's the MDT coming together that push the patient care Completely. Forward. And again, like that came up quite a lot in COVID when we had lots of surge consultants, you know, anaesthetists coming to work on ICU. And I've had such great feedback from them afterwards because we had one dietitian or sometimes two dietitians per ICU and they stayed there for the entirety of COVID. So they really got to know all the consultants who were working there. And they came up to me afterwards because a lot of them have come through ICU as registrars. And, and they said to me, Danny, it was so amazing having the dietitians in handover and on the unit because I didn't have to think about nutrition. And I think that's true. Like one person can't be responsible or know everything about everything. So it's really important to kind of utilize the people in your team who do have that expertise because then it doesn't always you know, fall on one person. Again, it sort of it highlights the value of of an embedded dietitian absolutely and also i think we're a, a consistent force if you mm. see what i mean and so often with the the nursing and the doctors shifts it might be you do two or three days in a row and then you're not there for two weeks whereas we are reviewing the patients consistently mm. and so we're picking up on the fact that actually the feed has been off for four days in a row mm. because they might get a trackie whereas yeah. if you just come in for one shift you, you you know about it for that day but you're not really looking yeah. at the history and so it again it, it comes down to us because the patient can't tell you that they're hungry it's up for us to put our hands up and say hold on a minute remember you know how many times have you done this already this week are there many differences between a, a dietitian in critical care and a dietitian who, say, was on an older person's unit? So I think the role essentially is the same. It's advocating for best nutrition care for the patients. It is still getting involved in the safety aspects. It's developing policies and procedures. So technically, I don't think the role per se is not different. It's more the kind of patient group that's different. So, you know, you're thinking more about the kind of chronic phase of that patient's care, getting them back into the community. Whereas in ICU, it's kind of very, although we do think about what's going to happen to the patient when they leave, it is we're treating kind of a very acute patient. But I think the role's the same. Would you agree, Ella? Yeah, absolutely. But I, I suppose it's just, thinking about the patient group, it's just ICU is so much more complex. So if, with, if it's a care of the elderly or, or maybe they've had a stroke, they've lost their ability to swallow, so they need to be NG fed. Whereas on ICU, we're dealing with 500 calories from propofol. They're on a fluid restriction. They're, they're in renal failure and we're wondering how much protein to give them. So, you know, and then they're on loads of NORAD and we're worried about gut ischemia. So you're kind of, we're having to think of lots of different components and come up with the safest compromise of a treatment where often on the ward it's a little bit the dietetics can be a little bit more simplistic when i think about you know like a stroke patient or a patient going into the community sorting out training for peg discharges and you know how are we going to feed them around their rehabilitation needs so i, I think it's still complex just different types of complexities i want to go through the common misconceptions but i think i think probably the most common misconceptions about dietitians in, in critical care is, is that you come along you prescribe the the nutrition or you write the nutrition in the in the notes and then you walk away and and that's it so gareth i'm not sure that is a misconception i do think that actually happens in a lot of units and i think that's for lots of reasons i think one it's related to funding mm. so a dietitian may not have time to spend on the unit because they might have to run off to do a clinic so that's potentially one reason the second reason is that a lot of people feel very intimidated coming onto the ICU when they feel unwelcome. And this is, 
I think true of a lot of units also because of this misconception that dietitians are not needed. They're also made to feel unwelcome. So the thought that you have to go and communicate with the medical team or the consultant is just really intimidating. And I've seen that happen in multiple places before. And I've felt intimidated, you know, on when I was first in ICU. And I think the only way to change that is for people to understand the value of the MDT and dietitians and to kind of make them feel welcome and to get the funding for that to happen. And also for us to try and work with dietitians to build their confidence in communication and and that sort of thing. I think it works both ways though, doesn't it? Because I've worked in places where it's so MDT focused and, you know, the ward round won't start unless you're there to working somewhere where there is no forum for you to go at all. You know, you want to be there and you're willing and you're desperate to do it, but it's very hard to penetrate those kind of units. And so it takes a lot of balls and character to be able to say, I don't care whether you want me or not, I'm going to be there. So I think, as Danny said, it's a two-way thing, really. I've got a misconception that dietitians are glorified waitresses who just give out 40 sip. I heard that one recently. Someone said to me, but Danny, don't you just give out supplements? And I was just like, yep, that's what I do. That's a good one. And obviously, worse than that, that we're in the kitchen and we're actually like cooking up some kind of puree diet that we put down NG tubes. I I mean, the amount of times that junior doctors have said to me, don't you know, when you're down in the kitchen and you're making the feed, could you just add a bit more sodium or a bit more potassium? Obviously that is not true, but I think that boils boils down to um, what we were saying earlier about the fact that we actually are not the ones responsible for implementing our own plan. So we put a plan in, And then we do walk away and we do expect someone else to implement that plan because we're not on the unit to do it. That's just not how nutrition works because it's everyone, nutrition is everyone's responsibility and and everyone kind of plays a role. And the second thing about using the supplements is that there are so many problems with hospital food, so many, like we all know that there are countless issues with the menu system and the food delivery system in hospitals. And actually at the end of the day, often patients do like supplements and that's what they'll take. So that is often our only option to get nutrition into the patient without using a feeding tube. So I can understand why that comes across as that's what we do. Or with a diet, please. I don't tell anybody if I get meet anyone in a dinner party or like go out for dinner with someone, you just don't tell them what you do as a job because it's like, oh no, don't tell me what I'm eating. Don't look at what I'm eating. Well, they want you to put, you put them on a diet, don't they, Danny? I think one of the other things that particularly has come out for, for Danny and I quite recently, looking at London and staffing levels for dietitians, there was a common misconception that ICU patients could have a protocol and then they wouldn't be the need to have a dietitian to individualize. And we've all been back and looked at our COVID data, just for example, and 100% of patients over their ICU stay needed to have an individualized approach. Which I think is a, is a misconception about nutrition rather than dietitians, because with most admissions happening out of hours, there normally isn't a dietitian there to advise on a, an individualized regime so especially if it was an admission over the weekend you may be talking two or three days before there's somebody who can put that plan in place so it can feel like nutrition is protocolized and the dietitian is coming along and essentially prescribing the protocol because it's a feed that you recognize at a rate that you recognize and we perhaps then miss the individual nature of it and definitely like feeding protocols are essential in icu 
And I would say they're essential for at least 48 hours, maybe 72. So we actually, as dietitians at um, Guys and Tommy's, our standard is that we will review the patient within 48 to 72 hours. That kind of allows us to see which direction the patient's going in. Are they going to be extubated early? And if they are, there's probably not much point in us spending time individualizing a regimen for them. But if they're going to stay longer, then there is more point in doing that. So that's kind of why we wait 48 to 72 hours. But I think you're right. It's because on ICU, we tend to use very few feeds to make it easier. So it'll always be a feed that you recognize. And it'll always be around a similar rate, I guess. And it changes. That's the thing about critical care is like over the patient's admission, they'll need lots of different things at different times. And so one protocol is never going to cover all the different things that are going to happen to that patient whilst they're on the ICU. But I think that leads quite nicely on to the next part, which is where the role of the dietitian is heading within critical care. How do you think the role is sort of going to change in sort of in the near and the far future? Medicine, particularly in critical care, is moving towards a more personalised approach, an individualised approach. And I think for dietitians, we are going to be integrating more tools into our practice as more evidence comes out. So ways to, for example, um, accurately measure uh, muscle mass to better individualise the care of the patient. There might be something coming out in the future about like metabolomics and the microbiome that mean that we can individualize the care of the patient more. Um, I think that is longer term, but I think the dietitian has a crucial role to play in that. And I also think that we're going to see the role of the dietitian move more towards doing a lot more research. And hopefully, I think um, teaching and we do lots of sessions with the medical students who come through critical care. So I'm also hoping that we have a bigger role to play in teaching all the new doctors and nurses coming through a bit more about the importance of critical care nutrition. Well, I'm just going to add something, which is is your thing as well, Danny, but you're, you're kind of doing it already. But this is somewhere that I think we need to move forward with is nutrition after the patient leaves ICU. And that's so often forgotten. Danny's already involved in ICU follow-up clinics, guys and Tommy's, but that's not a role where dietitians have got really got involved in. But we know that we can make a really big difference with these people. And so I think that's the way forward. It sounds like to me that one of the most important things for the future of, of dietetics as a whole is resources, which isn't unique at all, really. And I think this is what Danny and I were talking about earlier that if you can't do everything, what can we do that will have the biggest impact for our patients, but also for the teams that we work in? And I, and I think there isn't going to be extra funding. So we just have to be more strategic and think clearly about what it is that we have. A lot of dietitians are trying to see every single patient very frequently. And like you said, running on, doing the treatment plan and running away. And actually, if, you, if you're only funded half time, are you better going to the ward round every morning and being able to prioritize then which three patients you can actually have an impact with and you know making sure that you are involved in the nurses and the doctors induction training and making sure that the message of nutrition is really important and it's got out loud and clear right from the beginning. Mm-hmm.